chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up with me in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 16. It reads this, From now on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everyone, every, or everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We moved here in March of 2017. Uh, in April of 2017, uh, my first, the first Sunday of April, I was able to preach my first sermon with you as a church. Uh, nothing much has happened since then, just a hurricane and a pandemic. And in the midst of all of that, I, I remember very candidly in August of 2017, walking into church one Sunday morning and noticing that no one was here. And when I say no one, I don't mean a holiday weekend no one. I mean no one was here. And they let me know that some of our men and some of our women and some of our families had gone to make sure they were putting sandbags to, to try to stop a flood, which is really hard for me to imagine. And as they're having this conversation with me, all that I could think is, this People, these people, are, they're going to get after it. They're going to work. They're going to care for their community. And as I looked at that, I thought about, in, as I look back historically, as I consider this in my life, I got to watch a people seek to serve our community for their good for sure, but also for the good of those who are around them. When I thought of that, I, it, it brings to mind what took place just a couple of months ago. In March, when I was making phone calls to various church members, I did my best to touch base with you. Our elders tried their best to touch base with you if you're a member here. And as we touch base, we hope to pray for you and encourage you. And I kept hearing this recurring question. How can we help? What can we do what are we supposed to do? Can, can you give me something to do? But I didn't know of anything to tell you to do. Stay home. Don't, don't go to Home Depot because they'll be mad at you. Wear a mask if you go in public. I had no answers to some of these questions. I still don't have answers to some of those questions because this is a completely different experience for us. Walking through this together. But what I do, what does come to mind when I think about this very topic is there are various passages that come to light in regard to how the people of God are supposed to function not only in difficult situations but in every situation. 
we have been given definition and direction from God as to what it means to be His people in each and every scenario that life may throw at us. One of those is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You're, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. We like to memorize this. It says that in the CSB, which I like to preach from, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're an ESV head, it says it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with the Lord your God? On top of that passage, what comes to mind when I consider what it means to be God's people in every scenario, especially in difficult scenarios, is what we find in our passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says this to us, From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we had known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we, have, we no longer know him in this way. It's talking to us about this worldly perspective. Your translation may read the word flesh there. From now on, we do not know anyone in according to the flesh, your Bible may read. This word means corruptible, means broken. It means that we, in this world that we live in, are to look at everything that takes place around us and see it no longer as if it is completely broken. We are to see everything in the way that God seeks to see things and the way that God would have us to see things. When we talk about worldly perspective, the Bible gives us this huge comparison as you walk through it. You notice over and over that what God has done for us in Jesus is completely different than what the world provides. And we notice that those who are in Christ Jesus are to no longer to see the world as if they are not in Christ Jesus. Look at this with me. When you consider this historically, we, we have those who are living in the corruptible worldly perspective and the way that they would see each and every situation is this. That God functions in the same way that a variety of polytheistic God's function and he gives laws and he wants to punish disobedience. Yet for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we see that God is gracious and that he is patient. For those who are coming from a worldly perspective, it would look at those around us and we would define the worth of another person by measuring it up against social standards. You look and you use comparison to say if someone has value or not and to rate that value. Yet, the perspective that God gives is that all persons have infinite worth because we're made in the image of God. We were created by God. Sinners and outcasts from a worldly perspective are to be avoided and rejected. Yet for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we see that everyone is welcome around the table that God has offered us in Jesus. For those who come from a worldly perspective, identity comes from social tradition. You are what you are because society has said you are to be that. Yet for those of us who are in Jesus, identity comes from centering in the person of Jesus. For those of us who come from a worldly perspective and want to see the world from that angle, you would strive to be first in everything that you do. If you're not first, you're last. Yet Jesus says this, the first shall be last. From the worldly perspective, we want to preserve one's own life above everything else. Yet Jesus shows us the path of dying to self and being reborn leads to abundant life. 
From the, from the perspective of the world, a worldly perspective, we have a fruit of striving to gain reward. Yet for those of us who are in Jesus, we have a fruit of centering in God and in His compassion. You see, there's a these, this contrast has been set up for us. So I would encourage you in the midst of what we are walking through globally, locally, to look at the situation that surrounds you and ask yourself, am I seeing this in the way that Jesus would have me to see it? Or am I seeing this in the way that the world would have me to see it? Am I trying to find my utmost in the midst of this? Or am I seeking to show that Jesus is to be utmost in all of it? Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. God reminds you of what He's done for you in Jesus. If you are in Christ, that phrase is massive in the Bible. We cannot overlook it simply because it's two syllables. You can almost put an exclamation point in your Bible there. You can put a John Madden boom there. And you have, what you see is if you are in Christ, all that you have done to cause separation between you and God has been undone in Jesus. We have been given a brand new perspective. The N.T. Wright theologian says this, When a new world is born, a new way of living goes with it. Because you were in Jesus, is there a new way of living that goes with it? In verse 6 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God's done a new thing. Those who are in Jesus are no longer carrying the weight of a sin that will crush them. It is what Jeremiah tells us will happen when he points out that we will have these various new things take place in our lives because of Jesus. Jeremiah 31 says that we have a new obedience because the law of God is no longer something that's outside of us. It's now written on our hearts. When we are in Christ Jesus, a new relationship has been given to us because God would be there. God is going to be our God and we are now His people. Not only do we have a new obedience and a new relationship, we have a new forgiveness. Because the God of the Bible who has met with you in Jesus does not remember your sins. Verse 18, go with me. It says this about the function of God and your function in response to God. Everything is from God, who is reconciled to Himself through Christ. He was reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, let's make no mistake, God is the one who reconciles. Now, now that's a word we don't throw around a lot. What does it mean for God to reconcile? What does that verb mean? It means that all of the separation... That was, in, that was there between you and God in the person of Jesus that has been removed. All of the enmity between two parties has been dealt with completely in the person of Jesus. Now, because God has done that, He has given you and He has given me the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's another loaded word that we like to apply to people who get paid by churches. They're a minister. Or we talk about the government. There is a minister of defense or a minister of offense. I don't think there is that, but 
anyway, you, you have this idea of ministry. What does that mean? Well, in the original language, if you were to break it down and bring it to its base level, it means function. So because God reconciles, He has given you and He has given me the function of reconciliation. He has given you and He has given me the function of showing and saying that enmity has been removed between God and man. That has been given to us. Are we, what are we doing with what God has given? That doesn't change. This message of Jesus is still here and it's still clear and it's still the call of every person who belongs to Him. Because this scenario has changed does not mean that your calling has changed. The message of Jesus does not change. The method by which we communicate it has to. Have you not noticed that that method has changed even in our room right now? If you've not noticed that, please listen for the cry of children, which we are glad that they're here. Because we don't have a children's ministry running right now. We are in here together. The, the message has, has not changed. The method does. What do I mean by that? It means that we, as the people of God, do not simply have the opportunity to say, the message of Jesus is proclaimed on Sunday mornings in buildings like this. Because I'll be honest with you, your non-Christian friend, they ain't showing up in this. But they may have a six-foot socially distant conversation with you. They may talk to you about this Jesus that you claim to believe in. Do you know that the, there has been a surge in the Googling of the word prayer since this started? Prayer. That there is a desire in the hearts of some people to at least consider that there's something more. So we get to choose how we're going to function in this new scenario. We get to choose how we're going to interact in the midst of something different. Because our message has not changed. Verse 19, it says this, Because you've been given the function of removing and showing and displaying that the enmity has been offered to be removed from two parties. It says this, That is, in Christ, exclamation point, boom, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Again, we see God reconciles and you have been given the function of displaying and declaring the enmity has been removed in the person of Jesus. How do we see that? Does the Bible tell us that? Yes, over and over and over and O-V-A over. Verse 24 of 1 Peter reads this. First uh, Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. That's a verse that we're familiar with. If you've been around church at all, you've heard that passage. That this is what God would do. I can remember people walking through passages like this with me. And they would tell me that all God had done. But they would remove these plural pronouns. And they would put my name there. 
that he himself bore Jared's sins and Blaine's and Emma's and Warren's and Wendy's sin, God bore those in Jesus. That he bore Greg's sin, that he bore Amy's sin, that he bore Harvey's sin. That Jesus bore the sins of Tim. This is what Jesus did. He bore Felisa's sin. He bore David's sin. And that by his wounds, Josh Dawes was healed. And Leslie was healed. This message does not change. That the hope of the world is in a crucified Messiah who made us himself to be a sacrifice for us. But the method by which we communicate that has to change. Because the world is ever changing. And we are called to hold fast to that truth because the message of Jesus will always be that He bore sin and that by His wounds we are healed. The message of Jesus is always going to be that. That God actively reconciles. God actively reunites. God actively deals with the enmity between God and man through the death of His Son. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For those of us who would follow after Jesus, I pray that this is convicting. Because it's convicting for me. I don't know the last time I had a pleading conversation for someone to be reconciled to the peace that God had offered them in Jesus. I struggle at times at how unmoved my heart is for lostness. How hard it is to find those opportunities to have conversations because I'd rather talk about anything else. Call to speak and say that there is an opportunity to be reconciled to God. This doesn't mean I need you showing up at restaurants with chick tracks. But it does mean that we as God's people are to see that this opportunity has been given to us. And it's not just an opportunity, it's a ministry and it's a ministry that is eternally significant. That this passage that we walk through, that this doesn't disqualify any of the truths of the Bible. God saves. We, we see that. God saves through Jesus. We see that. But you are not separated from the message of reconciliation. As a matter of fact, you've been given that. Regardless of how difficult your work situation is or how rebellious your neighbor happens to be, you've been given that. And if you're going to follow Jesus, that means that you're following Him toward that. That I'm following Him toward that. That I'm not looking for another thing to complain about or another fight that I want to have that I'm seeking to say and show that Jesus is Lord and that that message, that message does not change just because the method has to. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
I've shared before my, my Southern Baptist background, and we grew up with something called Royal Ambassadors. They gave you these denim vests with gold trim and patches on the back for the various things you did in the woods. As you can imagine, I did not get many patches. It was a s'more patch. Lit that up. But we made this pledge together. The 80s were a time for pledges, y'all. We pledged to everything. And it went a little bit like this. As a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. To have a Christ-like concern for all people to learn how to carry the message of Christ around the world. To work with others in sharing Christ and to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. Still working on some of those. An ambassador is someone who has a position of authority and they, they represent something else. It's an Olympic athlete at the Tokyo Games in 2021. It's when I finally talk to someone who can help me from Comcast who will change my situation. I'm still looking for that person. It's Michael, Pam, and Oscar at the high school job fair at Valley View High in season four when they represented Dunder Mifflin. It's someone who stands there on behalf of someone else and speaks as to what they have experienced and speaks to the value from, from which that experience comes. Someone who stands and says that this, this is a thing that matters. Jesus is, we have been called to be ambassadors for him. God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. So what do we say? What takes place there? What message is communicated and again Paul comes back to this central truth this hope of the world that he made him who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God he who knew no he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us Jesus took our sins upon himself wholly and completely. That's the message of the gospel that we've been called to display in a world that just keeps shifting and slipping and changing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I wasn't an outdoorsy child or an outdoorsy adult. I'm just staying here all the time. But my kids, they've become outdoorsy somehow. I got a random phone call from a, a clute number yesterday, and it was Charlie. He said, Daddy. Uh, he, he then told me that he and his friends had caught a big fish in the creek down the street from our house. Like, well, who are these children? I'm, they're just spearing fish back there like as Lord of the Flies. They've caught a fish. It made me think of other things that kids do. One thing that was really popular was 
I would hear stories from these friends who would take a magnifying glass. Anybody ever done this? And they would sit in the sun as if someone should ever do that. And they would allow the sun to beam through the glass onto a leaf or if they were mean enough an ant. And all of that heat was concentrated there. For as long as that child would sit. When this passage talks about Jesus becoming sin for us, it wasn't His. It's all of the sin from outside that God allowed to be concentrated on Jesus. For hours, three hours, our sins on the shoulders of our Savior all the jealousy, all the lust, all the pride, all the anger, all the rage. All of the things that we don't like about ourselves that need to be undone. And all of the things that we like about ourselves that need to be undone too. All of those things concentrated on Christ. He made the one who knew no sin, who had none of those things to be sin for us. So that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. So that God would call us His. Those things came with pain and anguish. Even on the front side of it, Jesus prays, take this cup from me. But He did these things so that we could be right with God. It was prophesied by Isaiah that he was despised and he was rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pain, but in our our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. This Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him. And we are healed by his wounds. Again, I've made different translations. One says this, that by his stripes we are healed. That's the message we carry. That's the message of hope. That's the message that will bring us to right standing with God. So communicate that. Use every method possible. Be nice to your neighbor. Care for your friends. Pour into your whomever. But the message of reconciliation is be reconciled to God. Because you're an ambassador of Jesus. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to invite you to bow your heads. If you are with us today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that He cares for you to the point that He would take your sin upon Himself. That He would die in your place. That all of the sin that you commit would be placed on His shoulders so that you could be in Christ. A new creation. 
If you've never trusted him, if you've never believed in him, if you've never loved, if you've never come to know him, what if this was the morning where you trusted Christ for the first time? Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. Because I can't do anything with this sin, but you can. That's a conversation you need to have with him. If you have questions about any of this, I'll be over here to the right-hand side of the room. If you're a believer in Jesus, I pray that you would wrestle in your own heart with what it means for you to be a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador for Christ. And a world that needs to see light, not another shade of darkness. We ask all of this, Jesus, in your name.